Hey friends, my name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Ed Welch about his book, I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis, What Does the Bible Say? For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help where you can access notes from today's episode and browse-related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Ed Welch is a licensed psychologist and faculty member at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, also known as CCEF. Ed has been counseling for over 40 years and has written extensively on the topics of depression, fear, and addictions. Hey there, Ed. Thank you so much for joining us for the show today. Welcome back. Thanks, Christine. Good to be with you, of course. I am really thankful for the opportunity to talk with you about your brand new book, I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis, What Does the Bible Say? And this is a topic that is near and dear to me for a number of reasons. But before we get started in our conversation today, I'd love for you to spend a few minutes to share why you wanted to write a resource on this topic. I think I think there are probably a few reasons. One is I have certainly a long-standing interest in how does the scripture reach into all the areas of life? Or there are some problems that are overt in scripture. Anger is overt, fear is overt, guilt and shame. They're they're right there. They're they're easy pickings. That doesn't mean it's not challenging to bring it all together and make it meaningful for someone. But you can look in a concordance and there, there are a lot of problems you can find. I, I'm also interested in scripture's reach to those topics that aren't directly uh, identified in scripture. So that's that's one of them. I want to, in a sense, I want to put First Corinthians 2 to the test where the spirit searches everything. And we have the spirit. The spirit searches even the mind of God. So I said, okay, off we go. Let's let's go to the hinterlands that um, that we wouldn't normally explore and ask that scripture speaks to. So that's that's certainly a significant part of it. I think there may be two other smaller features. One is I wanted to do something shorter and as accessible as possible. So I think this book is 86-ish short, smallish pages. Uh, So that's one thing. The other is I wanted to take even more seriously Paul's strategy, also in 1 Corinthians 2, I've determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. And I wanted to to have that as the beginning place and the place we come back to all the time. And I wanted how does Christ and Him crucified? How does how do those words in that event? How do how do they speak to these these more challenging issues of life? Yeah, I really appreciate the work that you did opening up the book. You helped us to get some clarity on the difference between the term psychiatric and psychological, and then kind of bringing into view, what does the spiritual have to do with the psychiatric and the psychological? So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, the terms are are fairly common terms, but they're sometimes hard to identify, yet they're important. And we'll get into some of the reasons why they're important. Uh, A psychiatric problem you're tending to think a psychiatric problem is a particular diagnosis. And then that's fairly straightforward. It's a diagnosis. There tends to be an assumption that there is at least a medical contribution to it. 
and oftentimes a medical treatment for it, a psychiatric drug treatment. Now, that's not always the case. There are, there are some problems that are really very severe, dissociative identity disorder that aren't identified as predominantly physical. There are others that like the oppositional defiant disorder in children that uh, medication is not typically given. But for the most part, a psychiatric problem is a diagnosis and it has the assumption that there's some physical under underlying it. The second psychological disorders or psychological problems, it can be the same thing. It can be just another term for psychiatric problems, these various diagnoses. Psychological problems, when you hear it used, sometimes it's used synonymously with emotional problems. So depression and mania would be, would be commonplace there. Sometimes it's used to talk about problems in our past. That tends to be the way psychological problems are identified. Now, I, I think for our interest, what we find is psycho, the psychological problem category, Christine, is, is burgeoning. It is the stuff that we labor with day in and day out. It is the stuff that is utterly oppressive. And the, so here the challenge is, how can scripture to speak to this burgeoning category? Because spiritual, I think in, in our popular language, uh, it tends to be if we've done something really bad, that's a spiritual problem. Um, if we've murdered, if we've been adulterous, then that's spiritual, you have to deal with it. The more common one is, a spiritual issue is one where you need to be converted. We need to be, we need to come to Jesus Christ and say that Jesus is Lord. And that is in many ways, the sum total of how people use spiritual issues, which means that they don't really speak to today. They you're, you're on your own for today and spiritual issues are, are a benefit for you when you die, but they're not a benefit for you when you live. So that's, I'm not saying that that's the definition of spiritual problems, but that's the common use of spiritual problems. So, so what we want to do as a result is, is we want to enlarge spiritual problems so they are as large as scripture identifies them. And, and here's, here's the way we can think about spiritual problems. Spiritual matters are the very center of our lives. There is nothing more important all roads lead there. If you have a physical problem, it is not merely a physical problem. If you have a physical problem, if, you, if you're diagnosed with cancer, if you're laboring under cancer, all roads still lead to how it is fundamentally a spiritual problem. How do we turn to Christ and know comfort? How do we turn to Christ and know endurance? How do we turn to Christ and grow in faith rather than faith be weakened? in the midst of the physical problem. Spiritual problems are identified in scripture as the very center of our lives. It's not one little tiny piece that deals with eternity, but doesn't deal with things now. It is the very center. Sometimes we can say it's the real you, the true you without masks, without resumes, who you really are. And some people may know you, but a lot of people don't. Who you really are, ultimately before the, the one who knows all things, the true you. Now, let me, let me go a little bit farther, because to, to expand this category of spiritual issues, spiritual matters capture the things that are most important to you. What is most important? What do you desire most? What do you love? These ultimately are our emotions. 
are that our emotions typically identify those things that we love above all else. Life and relationships typically are, are what you are the object of our affections. But you see what I'm doing, Christine? It's, it's, it seems like a very subtle thing, but I've just taken emotions and I've put them in the spiritual category uh, as something the scripture speaks to and cares profoundly about. Immediately we go to the Psalms and was it John Calvin who talked about the Psalms is what the anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Every emotion is represented in, in the Psalms. So you see, it's a very, sm- we, we just done a very small theologic, made a small theological point, but it has immense applications. All of a sudden we begin to think that God says a lot more than we think. Now, psychological problems are the emotional problems. Spiritual problems are for tomorrow. That's not the case. Spiritual matters are emotional matters. The things that we desire, the things that we love, the things that we care about the most. The other thing you find in that psychological category are problems of the past. But when you go to the scripture, what do you have? You have, you have a scripture is very, very interested and concerned about threats, violence, about enemies, uh, about those who can harm. It seems as though half the Psalms are, are about those kind of events. In other words, God cares profoundly about our pasts. He speaks to our past as the one who will make things right. And then he speaks more importantly to our present as the one who is with us now. So what you can see I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get some clarity on the terms, you know, psychiatric problems and psychological problems. But you can see, I want to rehabilitate all things spiritual. It really extends to everything in life, everything in life. Uh, and as, as they're spiritual, it means fundamentally that what we need, only God himself can give us. Uh, people can give us medicine and people can give us some comfort. But the fact that we are fundamentally spiritual means that there are things that only God himself can give us. So the very core of our beings, what do we do? We, we cry out to the Lord for help. That's the most human thing we could do. Excuse the long comments about that, but, but Christine, I think you're identifying something that's really very important because, because when we think about it, most of us think about that spiritual category is fairly small. And if it's small, it means we have to move outside of scripture for, for expertise. Well, I love how you help us to think about really just how we are created as humans. In the book, you contrast the differences between a common view of a person who is maybe part physical, part psychological, and then part spiritual. And then you contrast that with what the scriptures teach. Would you spend a few minutes talking about that contrast and why it's an important part of processing a psychiatric diagnosis? You are putting me on the spot just a little bit with that one uh, in, in something that may be a little bit controversial, but oh, might as well. It's your fault, so, uh, so I'll, I'll jump in. The, the question you're getting at is, is our fundamental theology, how, how we organize the psychological and spiritual, those kinds of matters, how we organize those theologically. And, and in the Christian community, there tend to be a, a few prominent ones. And, and one is, of course, we are body and soul and spirit. And this is one I remember seeing when I was even a young boy. 
There was something called the Schofield Reference Bible that, that at least in, in the quarters where I ran, it was, was the most popular Bible. And it talked about who are we? We are body, we're soul and spirit. And it all seemed very, it worked out very well. God is, God is three and we are three. So it, it made some sort of at least numerical sense to my own little soul at the time. We are body. If you have a body problem, you go to the doctor. We are, we are soul. If you have a soul problem and soul or there would be the psychological problems, everything emotional, uh, the things that we believe and the lies that we can believe, all our relational challenges, those would be sort of in that psychological, that suitcase sector of our being. And then we are also spirit. We're body, soul, and spirit. And there again, now you see how the spirit is just that, that little tiny piece, important, but not, but without many implications for today. It's important because it has implications for eternity, but sometimes it seems to leave us a bit alone with the challenges of today. So, so you can say, and here's where you're, here's where you're putting me in a bit of hot water here. What I'm suggesting is, is that tripartite version of humanity it doesn't seem to capture the essence of scripture. It makes spiritual a part of us rather than the very core of our being. <laughs> what we want is a view of ourselves that, that, that it's a map that forces us to take all things to God. And a tripartite understanding of the person, it takes some things out of scripture, emotions especially, and it partitions God from the other sectors of life. So as a result, what's, what's left to us, one way to understand the person is we are of two parts. We're immaterial and we're material. We're physical body and we're immaterial spirits. We're souls. Uh, we're minds or consciences. The scripture has lots of words for that, that other part of our being. We are embodied souls, your embodied souls. And what's the soul about or what's the spirits about? It's the real us who always live before God. And as dependent human beings, we always need him. And there are things that he alone is able to give us. So yeah, I am raising questions about a tripartite anthropology and how it, it sectors God and it partitions God in a particular realm uh doesn't he doesn't have access to the whole being so yep i hope you get letters about this christine and you're not I allowed don't. to send them to me okay i don't want any letters <laughs> <laughs> yep and, and you can see we want a theological structure if i can put it that way we want a theological structure that will always bring us back to the question in what is it that our god says a tripartite structure will not necessarily drive us to that, but, but an embodied soul structure that always leads us to what this God says. That is our most important question. It's in some ways the, the final question that we always ask in the midst of the challenges of life. I think that's one of the things that I learned on my own journey. Um, some of the listeners know that part of my story includes being uh, previously diagnosed with bipolar disorder too, and having to navigate what a psychiatric diagnosis meant for me in the season of life that I was in. And one of the, that is one of the things that really helped me through was taking each experience as it came. And I appreciate that you continuously encourage the reader to talk to God about their felt reality, what, how they are 
experiencing life and the world right then and there. And you write, quote, when you talk about your present struggles, instead of using a technical term for whatever troubles you, such as depression or bipolar, use your own words and be as descriptive as you can. Can you explain what you mean by that and why that's helpful? Mm. Uh, you're asking you're asking a lot in that particular comment. One is that that comment I think is identifying the kind of relationship we have with the Lord, where it, it, we can often think that the Lord is the King and He He writes out laws and He writes out directions and we receive them, but but the nature of life with Christ is is He speaks and we listen. And our, our hearts are rearranged by what he says. And then he says to us, now what's in your heart? And we speak. In some sense, somehow he is moved by the things that we say. Back and forth, back and forth. We speak and we are spoken to. We speak from our hearts and he speaks from his. In our closest relationships, that's what we do. One of the more poignant stories I remember was a man in our church, his wife, his wife passed away. And four or five months later, he was driving home from work. And there was something, something that was really good that happened at work. And he said, I can't wait to go home and tell. And all of a sudden he realized his wife wasn't there. But he, he demonstrated an instinct of our heart. When, when, we, when we're in a relationship where we love each other, we want to tell the person the things that are on our heart, the, the best things and the hardest things. Well, we have those instincts because that's the way the kingdom of heaven is, is designed. That is fundamentally is our relationship with the Lord. So, so the question in that book, what does God say? Well, here's, here is one of the, the most beautiful thing he says. He says, talk to me, talk to me. The proof text for that would be all the Psalms. The Psalms can be understood as here's the way you can talk to the Lord. And then it gives a uh, you know, hundred or so illustrations with all kinds of details in those illustrations. And as if after you, you move past the 150s, now improvise. Now you have an idea how to do it. Now these are the ways you talk to the Lord. Let me give, a, I'll give you a personal illustration here. Uh, I, I had panic attacks. I don't know how long I had them uh, for and how long ago it was, but I can remember when sort of the earthquake occurred, there were these little tremors that came first and then this earthquake, which I knew was going to change my life as I knew it. And, and, and it did. And so it happened in the middle of the night. I woke up and I knew there was no, no going back to sleep. So I just sat in our dark living room and, and meditated on things like Philippians 4. You know, don't be anxious. And I was glad I was meditating on it, but it was completely ineffective. Not that yeah, you know, that's, you know, that's okay. I was pleased I was going to scripture. But somehow, somehow it wasn't until the next day where, where that question, why didn't I simply speak to my God from my heart and say, Lord, this is what it's like. I, I feel like I can't breathe. I suspect it's a panic attack, but you know, I still feel like I'm going to die. And I feel like a little baby about the whole thing because I don't want to die this way. Um, and Ah, help. <laughs> I never, I never spoke those kind of psalmic words. So here's the first thing that the Lord says to us in the midst of our struggles that, that are confusing to us. Talk to me, speak to me about it. And, 
And if we use the psalm as our guide, the Lord is saying, well, think about it. Can you think about what words you want to say? For example, there, there was a time in my relationship with my wife where I realized she would say, well, how was your day? And I would sound like a teenager and say, good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sort of grunt good. And, and uh, that was the end of it. I was convicted of that at some point. And part of the conviction was when I would come home, I had to have a short drive home. During that short drive, I would think, what is on my heart? What are the things that were the best? What were the things that were the hardest? I would work to try to put words on those. So I was prepared to speak to my wife. These are the things that are on my heart. And you can see in the Psalms, the Psalms are sometimes are a spontaneous expression of the soul. But other times you can see that they took a lot of work. They're acrostics. Yeah, they're, they're poetry. And when, and when, when poets write poetry, they write it and they rewrite it and they rewrite it and rewrite it. They work at it. So the Lord says, what is it like? Tell me what it's like. And somebody says, well, I am depressed. That is glorious in itself because a person is, is living by faith. They know that, that there is a God. They know that he is here. And they know that he is the one who invites us to speak from our heart. They might not want to, but they do. So simply to say, Lord, I am, I am depressed. That is, that is immense. But then he says, well, well, tell me more. Tell me more. What is it like? What does it feel like to you? Uh, a lot of people can, can be depressed, but your experience of that kind of suffering is unique. Put words on it. Help me to understand what it's like. Now, here's the God who knows our hearts better than we do, but he prizes us working to identify those things on our soul. So if there's one thing that God says, if we, if, if we only draw one thing out of that book, one thing he says to us in the midst of very confusing problems, he says, speak to me, tell me what it's like. Give me words, give me images. Give me, give me, give me words from scripture that might, might identify them. Borrow somebody else's word, read them from a book to me. Um, this is the entrance into, from bringing the difficult matters in our lives, bringing them to the Lord. And it's a critical entrance and it's a lot harder than it seems. In the book, you offer chapters that explore problems commonly diagnosed by psychiatrists as panic or anxiety disorders depressive disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, and personality disorders. So I want the listeners to know that Ed does go into more detail in those particular chapters. But for the sake of our conversation, I picked out uh, for the rest of our time just statements that seemed kind of broadly applicable regardless of the particular diagnosis. Um, for instance, there was one time where you alluded to the fact that sometimes that we're not presently able to pinpoint the reasons why we are experiencing the symptoms that we are. And you write, quote, you do not have to know the exact causes of suffering to find help for that suffering. Trusting and coming close to Jesus helps more deeply than knowledge and insight. What do you mean by that statement? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're talking about psychiatric disorders as the particular problem area. The, the challenge with psychiatric disorders, even though a lot's been said about them, and 
people talk about medication and different things and, and counseling that can help. But ultimately, a psychiatric disorder has all kinds of question marks around them. We don't know exactly why. We simply do not know. Now, trauma, we, we have some idea where trauma is coming from, but why it affects us the way it does and why some traumas affect us and some don't, uh, there are mysteries to all these different things. One of the, the features of scripture is that we don't have to be smart. We don't have to have all these insights. Instead, actually, what we want to do when we grow up, we want to become like children. That's, that's what we're aiming for. Where we know we are confident in the love of our Father for us. And he gives us everything that we truly need to know to live wisely and well and within his love. That is the most important thing to know. And, and then as he moves into scripture, well, yeah, Job is the best example of this. We don't have to know the details of why we're suffering. Job, obviously there was, there was something satanic behind his own suffering. Some, suffer, some of the sufferings he could see. His wife was a bit of a cause of his sufferings. Um, uh, there were marauders who were the cause of his suffering. Uh, why did he have physical sufferings? He didn't know those things. And he certainly didn't know the strategies of Satan in his life. He didn't know, he didn't know the, the fundamental cause of his suffering, but he wasn't handicapped by that. What does he do? He goes to his God and he says, I'm in it for the long haul. I, 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 I want to be faithful in prosperity and in hardship. And then he speaks from his heart to the Lord. Why? What's going on? Why, why am I suffering so severely when, when I have sought to follow you? And he persists with that particular question. And the Lord answers the question. Uh, not quite the way Job was anticipating, but the Lord does answer his question. But the point is that, that maybe we can put it this way. How can scripture speak to something like depression or, or, or trauma or panic attacks when describe them. It doesn't give all the details. It doesn't give all the causes for them. Well, what scripture says is it's really, really hard. These are various forms of suffering. And the Lord speaks with compassion to our suffering, really on every single page. And, and to know his comfort and his words to our hearts in the midst of our suffering, we don't have to know all the causes behind them. That's one of the unusual, that's part of the genius of scripture in some way. We don't have to, we don't have to wait for all the details to come in before we can receive help. I think that was probably something that was very meaningful to me was where the Lord got me to a point where I stopped kind of that fix it mentality of trying to identify all the different reasons why I may be feeling the way I'm feeling. And then how can I fix this right away so that I don't feel like this anymore? And there's no rest involved in that. You're always spinning your wheels, trying to figure out the puzzle and make sense of what is going on and to get to that place of, of rest and trusting that look, there's going to be some gray area where I can't pinpoint what exactly is going on. Yeah. I think somebody once said that the Lord doesn't ask us to have complete self-knowledge, but there are things we can know. And so thank you for just kind of helping us to, to maybe even take a weight off of our shoulder that we don't have to figure it all yeah. out right this second. although. At the same time, if we're being honest, 
it's not necessarily what we want to hear because the problems are so distressing and, and sometimes mm-hmm. in many cases so disruptive to our everyday life. Yeah, and I think what you're identifying there are certain priorities where, where what is most important is how do we turn to Jesus and know him and trust him and also learn what is it that we want to ask of him? How can that be what is most important? And that is most important in part because Jesus is most important. It's also most important because as we ask him the things that, we, that he promises to give us, that really is where our hope is. Uh, we know that we will receive those things that he promises. Uh, but, but that does not avoid those other questions that you're identifying. Well, where is this coming from and, and why? And, and, and when does it get worse? What seems to alleviate the symptoms? That's, those, are, those are all very important questions, but, they, but they're not the most important questions. So we still want to be asking those, but we want those questions never to be larger than who is our God? How do we trust him? How do we rest in him today? Yeah, that's, that's really good. When it comes to these kind of problems, talk about personal sin can either seem offensive or irrelevant or overbearing, but I was really encouraged by the way that you brought sin into this particular dialogue. The saying that as we bring forgiveness of sin face to face with the problems that we're experiencing, we discover how the knowledge of Jesus and what he has done are critical to our mental health. Can you talk about why that's true? To raise the goal of of confession of sin, to know forgiveness of sins, to raise that with someone who is burdened with these oppressive problems, it just seems as though you're adding insult to injury. But perhaps it starts personally. How do we ourselves understand confession of sin and forgiveness of sin? For example, one of my desires in life is to grow in confessing sin. I don't do overtly bad things. If, typically, if, if people would follow me around during the day, I'd be a decent guy. You know, I'm not doing, you know, in private or public, I'm not doing anything really horrible. And so at the, at the end of the day, I can say, well, there's not much to confess. I would never say that consciously. But confession of sin, it doesn't draw my attention. My grandkids and the other needs of life around me perhaps draw my attention in prayer. But the Spirit has been, it's been gently pushing me to daily confession, because that's what, that's what scripture identifies. It's, it's the Lord's prayer, confession daily, is I grow in that. It, it is probably, it probably has more, more benefit to my marriage than anything else I've ever done. Because I think what there in the past, when my wife has, has done things that perhaps I didn't like, I can sort of get a little silent. I can sort of back off. I can become distant. It's just horrible. But if I have already identified the sins of my own heart and confess them. There's nothing she can say that would surprise me. I've already confessed those sins and many more. Uh, so I personally found great benefit to growing in confession of sin. And here's, when the gospel is offered to us, many times it's summarized as forgiveness of sins. So imagine this, a person who's struggling with trauma and life is overwhelming to them. Uh, imagine saying, let's do this today. Let's just be simple children of God and confess sins. But let's not confess sins from the past because the past can be confusing. Sometimes we can be confessing somebody else's sin and claim it as our own uh, rather than identify that we were sinned against. Let's just go over the last 24 hours and confess sin. 
what we're saying is this does not have anything to do with the cause of these particular problems. It's trying to grow in our humanity in the midst of them. And a human being, we, we are sinners and, and we seek forgiveness. And so, so imagine doing that with a friend. Let's just do this. And, and, you know, if I took the lead today, what, what would it be? My day is pretty early. So, so I haven't, hasn't rev, revved up too much yet, but, but what would it be? So I think today it would, so far, it's only been a few hours and I'm going on some walks with some friends. Um, Lord, here's, here's what I know about myself. I, I know that my love today is going to be cold towards you. And it's going to be looking for ways to serve myself. I know also, and I, I could, I could pray to this, Lord, there are ways that I've been lazy in my conversations with the family members I'm with. Forgive me for being lazy and, and just being nice rather than looking for ways to introduce conversations that are edifying for all of us to gather into. Lord, forgive me, help. That's, that's the way, if, if I were to pray with a friend today, that's the way I would pray. And, and it just so happens that this is the, the easiest way to be confident in the love of Christ for us, because ultimately it's only our sins that can separate us from the Lord and to know forgiveness of sins. It works toward that certainty that he is truly the one who is with us and who loves us. And, and that is, that's, that's what we want to penetrate into our hearts in the midst of our suffering. So yeah, it seems like just adding another burden to a person, but it is, you know, we want, we're aiming for Christ. We're not aiming for forget for confessing sin. Confessing sin is sort of that, that mark on the road is a way of moving to Christ again. So it's always, it's always aiming toward him and confession of sin makes our understanding of him even richer. Yeah, so you, you present it as a gateway to remembering important gospel truths. And I love one of the quotes you have in the chapter on trauma. You write, quote, if forgiveness of sins is ho-hum or seems like it is unable to pierce your mental or emotional pain, you are not yet seeing real life. In God's forgiveness, you find inarguable evidence of God's love and faithfulness. And so kind of not something that we would necessarily think of in these types of conversations to, to view our forgiveness of sin and confession of sin as a means of experiencing that grace, right? And that mercy and rehearsing and recalling those important truths about who we are in Christ and what he has given to us. And Christine, you can see what we're doing. We're saying, here's this psychiatric disorder, and here is forgiveness of sin. They have two different worlds. One's the world of psychiatry, and one is sort of the spiritual world. Our mission has been, no, 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 no. They're not far apart. This world of Christ it speaks to everything. And what we're doing is we're just putting that into play, where we're saying, here's, in, in, in the kingdom of heaven, we are people who ask forgiveness and we are guaranteed forgiveness. There, there already has been forgiveness and we realize that again. What we're doing is we're bringing that to everyday life for a person who is going through PTSD or going through panic attacks or depression, whatever it might be. Uh, and we're saying this, it might not change your symptoms dramatically today, but it will do something even better. <laughs> it, will, it will assure you that your God is with you and you can trust him. 
Another topic you briefly address in this book is that of physical treatments, which oftentimes come in the form of psychiatric prescriptions. I appreciate that you don't offer a black and white, one size fits all approach here, but rather you help the reader to think both biblically and realistically about the options they may be presented with. Would you spend a few minutes answering the question, is it wrong for a Christian diagnosed with a psychiatric disorder to partake of physical treatments or medical interventions? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'll, I'll give you my own personal understanding of that. What we want to be faithful to is scripture. And where scripture says something is wrong, we want to stand for this is wrong. And the way I understand many of the psychiatric problems is there are physical features to them. When you truly know a person who is wrestling with them, these are not things that are, are clearly don't do this and do that. They are evidence of weakness and a body that just has seemed to have has a mind of its own. So my own understanding of people who struggle with psychiatric disorders, typically there is some sort of physical contribution. Um, and in the midst of that, what, what's the call? It's not, here is the treatment you must do or must not do. It's, it's really a matter of, it's a certain kind of wisdom. What would be most helpful in this situation? It's, the question is, is, is more not what is right and what is wrong. The question is more here, here are two ways. Here's one job and here's another job. Which do you think would be best? Here's one car, here's another car. Which one do you think? Not these those seem like mundane illustrations, but it is a certain kind of wisdom that I think is relevant to this. So there, there may be physical treatments that can subdue some of the physicalness of depression or even trauma. And, and what do we do? Well, you talk to somebody who knows about those things. You enlarge your circle and and you find an expert. And what is an expert? Probably somebody, somebody like a psychiatrist. You're looking for a psychiatrist who will listen to you and will answer your questions. And if they don't answer your questions, then you find another psychiatrist, just like you would with, with anybody who's trying to help you. And then you make decisions. As a, as a counselor, Christine, I just don't tend to say much about those things anymore. Uh, it's If people ask me about medication, which they rarely do anymore, I would say, well, that's a great question. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Um, whatever you choose to do with medication or other treatments, what we're doing is essential. We are dealing with the very center of your being and in having all roads lead through Christ. And in asking that question, how does this particular struggle, how does the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how does it speak meaningfully to this particular struggle today? In, in dealing with those questions, these are the questions that all of us must be dealing with every single day. And, and so what we're doing, and what you're doing in seeking Christ with other friends, that will continue to be what is most important. So I realize people have different, different approaches there, but I, I do believe that that is consistent with scripture. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a choice that we can freely make before the Lord. It's a, it's a choice of wisdom between two, two things that we can do, either pursue physical treatments or not pursue them. What's most important is in the midst of it, we want Christ to speak to our souls and we're looking for help to encourage us in Jesus. Well, Ed, we have a few more minutes to spend on this conversation, but before we close out, I would love to have you speak to those who are caring for someone who has been given a psychiatric diagnosis 
What is one piece of biblical wisdom that you would share with a person today as they seek to love and serve that person well? One of the prime ways that the Lord identifies himself is he's the God of compassion. The, the, the gracious, the compassionate and gracious God, he identifies himself as in Exodus. Compassion means that you know that particular person in the hardships of their lives. So one of the things that's, that, that we can do as those who are trying to help is to know the person. In the same way that the Lord invites us to say, you know, what's it like? Tell me what it's like. For us to do the same thing with the person we might be walking alongside with. Tell me what it's like. No, tell me more. <laughs> I know it's hard. Well, is it like this? Or is it like this? Maybe again, we'll read a book together. Uh, here's a book that describes this particular experience. Is it like this? Is it like this? The better we know someone, the more patient we will be with them. The more we think they're like us and process things just like us, and they're not, the more impatient we will be. So if you push me with one thing, what would be helpful for a person who loves someone who is laboring under a psychiatric diagnosis? Study them, know them, and um, do as much homework as you can. You want to know the person in such a way that they say, yeah, that's what it's like. You got it. You understand what it's like. And from there, what do we do? We cry out with them to the Lord. And typically, when we truly know the person, what it's like, there are going to be doors of scripture that, that begin to open a little bit more because we're going to find fears and guilt and shame and anger, things that the scripture, uh, we have easy access to those to know the person well. That's what I would suggest. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, have this conversation with me. I'm going to invite you now to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. Now, there may be someone listening to this episode who has recently been given a psychiatric diagnosis for the problems they are experiencing. So what would you say to this listener to encourage them with the hope and help of Jesus Christ? I think a few things would be redundant. Speak to Jesus. Just speak, find words and speak them to Jesus. If you can't find words, just plunge into the Psalms and find them. Speak to Jesus. Speak those things that are on your heart. That would be one. Second, it might be, let's see if I can do this in a way that could potentially be helpful. Is as you hear from Jesus, what he will do is he will show compassion for you in the midst of your suffering. That is how he responds. He knows you. He knows, he understands you better than you understand yourself. And he responds with compassion. You are a sufferer and he responds. Another word that might be helpful for you. The Apostle Paul uses this. You feel weak. You feel like you can't go on. You feel like you can't even control your mind. You no longer feel strong in any sense. Well, if you feel weak, here's what the Apostle Paul says to you. You are exactly the person that Christ speaks to. He speaks to the weak rather than the strong. He speaks to the people who feel like life is just sort of falling apart right in front of them. And, and Paul holds out this, 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 um, this vision for you that in your weakness, you turn to the one who both knows weakness himself through the cross, 
And you also know the one who can be our strength. In your weakness, you learn how to boast in the one who is strong for you. So what I'm doing is I'm simply trying to open up Paul's experience in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12 in particular is a place he talks about it. Trying to give you another door into scripture so you can see that that you who feel very far away are right in the very center of God's care, uh, right in the very center of the kind of person to whom he speaks. Awesome, Ed. Well, thank you so much for those words of encouragement. I want to let the listener know that if you're interested in getting a copy of Ed's new book, you can scroll down to the show notes and click the link there. That will take you to a page on IVCD's website where you can access all of that information. So thanks again, Ed, for joining us today and congratulations on releasing the new book. And just thank you for taking the time to share a bit more about it and giving us encouragement on this topic. I really appreciate it. Always nice to talk with you, Christine, and thank you for actually your careful reading of the book, too. (laughs) Of course. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.